You're listening to Breakaway Wealth, the show designed to help you build wealth faster, think bigger, and break out of the herd. Now, here's your host, Jim Oliver. Before we jump into today's show, we have some exciting news to share with you. Our brand new online community platform is now live. Get access to free on-demand, in-depth training courses on topics like infinite banking, cryptocurrency, real estate investing, and much more. Just go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com. Or check out the show notes of this episode to find the direct link to request to join the community. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today, I've got a great host. I'm really excited to talk to Jimmy Song. Jimmy, welcome. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. Jimmy, tell, tell the audience a little bit about you and uh, your background and uh, where you're from, where you live now, all that. Yeah, a uh, lot of questions there uh, to, to sum up, but uh, I was born in South Korea. I immigrated to the United States when I was eight. I've been a programmer for most of my life. I've been doing it professionally for something like 24 years now. Um, and I, I got into this uh, Bitcoin space back in 2011. So that's been 11 years. Uh, and I've been uh, a coder, a teacher, you know, um, entrepreneur, investor, all, all sorts of things in this space for quite a while. Um, and that's where my expertise is. I'm also a Christian and I've been one since I was nine years old. So it's, uh, it's something that I've, uh, that, that's also very important in my life. Awesome. And you know what, um, I want to talk about, uh, a book that you collaborated on, um, here in a minute, because, um, that's the thing that stood out to me in, in your book. And, um, one of the books that we use Jimmy to teach people about infinite banking is called be, be, um, becoming your own banker and Nelson being a Christian as the author used a lot of Bible verses to, explain the 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 thought process of infinite banking etc and and i want to talk about that when we get into bitcoin kind of um because i love how you guys how you guys um correlated these bible verses to bitcoin and i had not heard anybody do that before and so i really want to talk about that because um you know when nelson would teach somebody about infinite banking he would say everything that you're going to learn today is through the lens of this book and he would hold up the Bible. So he would, and, and I think that what I really loved about your book was it's, that's how I took your book is everything I'm learning is through the lens of the Bible. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that's what we kind of set out to do. Um, th this is not the first book to talk about central banking and so on. Um, there, there are other books that have done that from, sort of that Christian perspective. I, uh, I think Honest Money by Gary North and uh, The Ethics of Money Production by Guido von Holzman were, uh, were both big influences when we wrote this book. In fact, we studied both bo those books um, as like sort of this pandemic Bible study that we were doing. Uh, because obviously we couldn't meet together, uh, and you know that—that's who ended up being the authors of this book was the this Bible study that I was leading among other Bitcoiners about. Hey, th this is what the Bible. Let's let's find out, you know, how we figure uh, how we, how to think about central banking and money from a biblical perspective. 
Um, and really the reason why we wrote this one was because the endings of both those other books were a little bit depressing because it was something to the effect of now that you know all of the evils of central banking and how much of uh, a, an evil enterprise it is, um, you know, we now need to go back to a gold standard, and that means getting a political action committee together and convincing your member of Congress to uh, abolish the Fed and go back on a gold standard, which wasn't ever going to happen. So uh, we wanted to have a more hopeful ending. And, um, you know, uh, hopefully we we did something of that in the last two chapters of this book. I don't really even mention the word Bitcoin until chapter eight. So uh, that that's something that uh, that you should know if you're looking at the book. It's not going to be, hey, Bitcoin is this, 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 and this. It's just, all right, here's the current monetary system. And here's all the ways in which it's, uh, you know, a cesspool of theft, corruption, and cronyism. And, you know, like, we really need to think about this from a biblical perspective, because God says, you know, theft is wrong. Um, you know, he hates uh, you know, um, unjust weights and balances and things of that nature. So, yeah, we, we try to bring it all home and say at the end, okay, if you want to get out of this system, here's this nice alternative. It's called Bitcoin. It's a just money. It's a fair money. And it's uh, it, it's going to be more pleasing and more aligned with our values than the Federal Reserve and the fiat monetary system is. You know, absolutely. And, you know, a, a great book that talks about legal plunder, that's the way he says it in his book, is The Law by Frederick Bastiat. Um, I don't mm. know if you've ever read that from the 1700s, but I, I think it should be required reading for every uh, citizen of the world. Mm. I, I also like uh, Nicola Oresme's uh, De Moneta. He was a French bishop from the 13th century. And he he wrote about, you know, what an ideal money would be like. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things I was amazed by reading him, he's, he was a polymath, by the way, he, um, you know, French bishop, also, uh, you know, as a, I was a math major back in college, uh, he discovered that the harmonic series was divergent, which is one of the most, like, completely unintuitive things uh, in mathematics. Uh, but, you know, he, he uh, also wrote about money, and he said the ideal money well, the prince should not be able to expand the money supply, uh, essentially, or debase money. And one of the things he said, it, unless he has the consent of the entire community, and this is the ideal of Bitcoin, is that unless you have the consent of the entire community, everyone that's running a full node uh, that is, uh, that's constantly sort of auditing the ledger to make sure that it's uh, following the rules, you cannot change Bitcoin. And that that's one of its virtues. This This was described in the 13th century by a French bishop. And, uh, you know, we finally have something that lives up to that ideal. You know, Jimmy, I, I love that Bitcoin is the ultimate in scarcity. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I love your analogy in the book about gold. You know, if there was some asteroid or something, I think you guys said that was like solid gold and we could mine it. And there was a million times the gold now uh, from that asteroid a million times more than what's on earth now, then gold would be worth like what a seashell is worth, right? And in <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin, that can't happen. But I want to back up because, you know, and I, I'm sure because this this show, the audience is, is a lot of people in the audience were still going to say they're not even sure what Bitcoin is. They're still not sure why there can only be 21 million. And, you know, I get questions. I know you get questions like that every day. I get questions like that every single day. And um, I just had a friend texting me during the football games last night that is he's retiring. And so 
this Bitcoin is just blowing his mind. So when do I sell it? And I said, you don't <laughs> sell it, right? Like that's like, like it's, they, they still see it as an investment. And so I want to get into those basic things because I know that, that you're so great at communicating about Bitcoin. Uh, it's funny since you've been in it since 2011. So I'll, I'll tell real quickly how I got into Bitcoin, Jimmy, is mm. my my business partner in the in that area in Bitcoin and um, in a great math and engineer guy too. I'm not, but um, he came to me in 2017. I wish it would have been 2011, Jimmy. Is he <laughs> came to me in 2017 and he said. Uh, Jim, what do you know about cryptocurrency? And I said, you mean Bitcoin? And he goes, no, there's other types of cryptocurrencies. And I said, no, Bob, you don't understand. I just know the word Bitcoin. That's all I know. <laughs> and uh, and I soon uh, found out a lot uh, since then. But you know, when we talk about Bitcoin, what do you say to somebody when they say, well, Jimmy, when do I sell it? Why? I mean, like, so I buy it and it's going to go up and then, you know, like, how do you explain that? Yeah. So uh, if you think of Bitcoin as sort of like an investment, like a stock or something like that, and that's usually the mental model that people come into these things with is, okay, what, what do I compare it to that I know? Um, and they think stocks, maybe like bonds or real estate or something like that, some sort of investment, something to do with their money. Um, what they're not realizing is that the base money that they're comparing everything to, the US dollar, this is their unit of account in economic terms. It's what they compare everything to. That's the thing that's degrading. And that's that's what's causing sort of this, um, you know, like all, all sorts of bad incentives that we go throughout uh, the book. Uh, but you, you need to think about money first before you, you can understand Bitcoin, because the current model of money is it's constantly being debased. It's, uh, it's, it's inflating away. The supply of money keeps increasing, and it can be done on whim by the federal government, by banks, and so on. Um, even, even banks in Europe uh, issue something called the euro dollar and expand the money supply that way. It's it's a it's completely messed up because in a sense every time money is printed it's being stolen from everybody else that's holding the dollar. So it, when they're asking that question, I almost I almost have to say, well, you're kind of asking uh, asking the wrong question, and there are many layers of assumptions underneath that need some clarification, right? Like, okay, you're assuming that the dollar is your unit of count and will be forevermore. Um, if that is the case, then you are thinking about like money all wrong because that's not real money. It's it, it's fiat money. It's money that's issued out of nothing. And then I would go into, you know, what, what is actually money? And, uh, and that's, that's what we try to go, go into in the book. And that's why we start from a place of, okay, what, what the heck is money, right? Like, and we use it, we spend it, we do all sorts of thing with, things with it that gives us this illusion of thinking that we understand money when we actually don't. And in fact, the, the minutiae of money, how the Federal Reserve uh, changes the interest rate so that the discount windows are wider and more banks can borrow money and, uh, and issue new currency into existence and stuff like that. That's something very few people understand, even members of Congress, people that really ought to know better. They, they don't understand exactly how money comes into existence. And we try to explain that in the book, uh, largely because people really don't understand money, even though they think they do. And that's, that's the assumption that needs to be changed first. 
you know, um, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And I, and, and you're right. The, the first part of the book, a lot of people have written about those subjects and sound money and, you know, and, you know, the federal reserve and there's lots, sometimes people will watch things on the federal reserve and they think it's, they, they think it's some, you know, conspiracy theory, like, cause, and they think they just poo poo. That can't be right. That's, that can't be how it works, <laughs> but no, it is how it works. And, and it's, it's sad, but you know, we, we all are financial slaves if we're part of that system. And, and, you know, if you look at what took down the Roman empire and you look, I mean, this is, this is, this is a problem and it's legal plunder, it's legal theft. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I love because one of my favorite things to talk about uh, right now, especially is um, Executive Order 6102, right, where FDR uh, uh, confiscated all physical gold and then declared a higher value on that gold when you're holding a certificate <laughs> at 40% or whatever it was less, right? Mm -hmm. So what just happened? You just got taxed. You didn't, you didn't get represent, you know, taxation without representation. We used to have a problem with that, but apparently now we just don't care or we're just, we're blind, we're sheep. And that's what we're taught to be And the noise out there. All of this, all of this, uh, uh, you know, put your money here. You need this much retirement, which is, there's no concept of retirement in the Bible. Right. Uh -huh. And, and that was developed by the Germans. I don't want to retire. The definition of retirement is to be taken out of service. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't say, and then Moses retired and then uh, he went to Florida and played golf or something. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, it doesn't talk about that in the Bible. So that's a man-made. In the Bible, retire usually means like literally dead. Or yeah, something to yeah. that effect. Yeah. I, I call that graduating. You know, <laughs> that's what Nelson used to call it graduating. But um, so, you know, when, when we, when we look at that, First, we have to have the right goal. We have to have the right mindset. That our mindset is not to retire. Our mindset is to how do we serve people till the very end? And but we have to have our currency and we have to have the government not stealing from us. Because how could we ever have a secure last 30 years of our lives if we if they're stealing from us? So um you know, when you when you when you see these um, investment companies talk about crypto investments <laughs> now, I mean, that's misleading. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Bob always says when you're buying Bitcoin, you're selling fiat dollars. Don't think of it as buying Bitcoin. <laughs> think of it as selling fiat dollars, which if you're if something's going down in value, when do you want to sell it? <laughs> as soon as you can. Yeah. So Jimmy, what about people? Cause this guy, somebody just did said this to me yesterday. Well, I can't go out and buy my car. I can't do all that with Bitcoin. What do you say to them when they say that? Well, yeah, actually you can. It's just, uh, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's number one. Yeah. There are car dealerships that will happily take your Bitcoin. My friend, CJ Wilson, he's a former major league uh, all-star, but he, he runs a car dealership in California. He will gladly take your Bitcoin and sell you a car for Bitcoin. And he has some really exotic cars and so on. In fact, he'll probably give you a little bit of a discount for paying in Bitcoin because he likes Bitcoin so much. Um, but you know what, what you were saying before is exactly right. It's, uh, it's uh, inflation or monetary expansion is taxation without representation, but it's also taxation 
without transparency or you know any sort of clarity whatsoever. Uh, and it's it's done without any legislation either. So members of Congress don't vote for Federal Reserve expansion. It is done entirely by this semi-autonomous uh, entity called the Federal Reserve. And they get to decide it's not exactly public, it's not exactly private, it's a consortium of bankers that get to just decide to tax you without transparency, representation, or legislation. It's, it's, it's like worse than any sort of explicit tax. And that's exactly why politicians like it, because they don't get the blame for tax increases. Instead, it just sort of happens in the background without them explicitly having to vote for it or against it. Um, but regarding uh, just how you think about uh, money and how you think about all, uh, you know, like, uh, Bitcoin and specific, uh, specifically this this you know asset called fiat money and how uh, it, it, it's that when you have uh, when you're in the dollar realm you you don't really have that property right like um and th this is something that I believe is very biblical God 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 grants us property rights right Thou shalt not steal is a part of the property you can't just go and take someone's stuff. Uh, and that that's a violation of God's law. Um, so when you have something that can just sort of be taken away, well, that gives you a lot less certainty about the future. And from an economics perspective, it's harder to plan when you have no idea what you're going to have in the future. And that uh, that uh, ends up being uh, causing people to have what we call in economics, high time preference behavior. In biblical terms, this would be just sort of, you know, uh, lacking prudence, right? Like uh, not not planning for the future, but instead just sort of doing everything impulsively and uh, and so on. And that's what fiat money does: is it causes us to value now way more than the future because the future is too unpredictable because it might be taken from us at any time. Um, so therefore, we'll just sort of spend right now and do things right now rather than. Uh, than trying to plan for the future and build up civilization and, you know, capital formation, you know, investing in the community and creating goods and services that other people might want in the future. Instead, we just sort of go and spend it now, right now. This is exactly what's been happening to Western civilization for the past 50 years since we got completely off the gold standard in 1971. And uh, and that's that's not a good thing because that as as you hinted at earlier, this is what led to the fall of the Roman Empire. As soon as they stopped having sound money, when the denarius was debased down to basically nothing, um, you know they they didn't really build roads anymore, right? Soldiers stopped getting paid, so they would desert the army and so on. They were the ones that were building all those uh, famed Roman roads earlier in the empire because. They knew that they were getting paid in something that that would hold its value. Instead, you know, uh, all sorts of weird stuff started happening. Um, there was a lot more decadence. Um, if you know about like, uh, you know, the end of the Roman Empire, they had questions about gender and people were trying to do stuff like that. And if that sounds familiar, should, because that's kind of what's happening now. But th that sort of uh, societal degeneration kind of happens as a result of unsound money. And I, I would argue that's exactly what's happening right now. And that this is something that as Christians, we should we should really thoughtfully pray about, right? Like, how do, how do I get out of this system that's continuously making it harder for me to follow God? 
Well, I mean, one of the answers is Bitcoin. It's it, it's it's a way to be able to plan for the future because you have this 21 million limit. You you have certainty over the portion of Bitcoin that you have, as opposed to the U.S. dollar, which is continually debasing. Um, you know, if you held the dollar even two years ago versus right now, that that dollar from two years ago is worth approximately 30 percent more in terms of a percentage of dollars in existence than it is right now. Um, that's a significant debasement, uh, and that that's something that you have to think about. And uh, it's hard to plan around. That's why a lot of people aren't working, are you know, staying at home playing video games, that are getting addicted to drugs, and um, you know, because they don't have hope. They don't have a way to plan for the future. And uh, obviously, Jesus is our hope. But in terms of a sort of financial planning and so on, for you know, it, it's it's very difficult when you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, like I said, Nelson, you would always say, if you know what's happening, you'll know what to do. If you don't know what's happening, then you don't know what to do. But, you know, you said something that's really interesting. So when you go back to 1933 hmm. and you had this, this, this really quick and easy and it's easy to figure out what, what was stolen from the people that had gold really quickly. Hmm. Right. Hmm. But you just said it. Two years ago, your dollar was worth 30% more. So if you think that they're not going to come get your gold, they're coming to get your gold every day, right? <laughs> they, they, that happens. And over the last two years, it's the same effect. That it's in the same ballpark as what happened in 1933. But now mm. it happened to everybody, not just people that held physical gold, right? Mm. Anybody that holds fiat dollars. Okay, so let's go through some basics maybe you know, people say, well, um, you know, who started Bitcoin, they can control it. Hmm. Explain why really, you know, just kind of a, a 10,000 foot level, why they can't control it. Yeah. So the person that created Bitcoin, uh, the name is Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't know if it's a person, a group or whatever, but I personally think it's probably one person just looking at the code and stuff. It's uh, coded a certain way. If it was a second developer there or something like that, probably would have been caught. But Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin um, around 2007, 2008, released it to the world 2009, January 3rd, 2009 is uh, the earliest sort of like uh, block on the on the Bitcoin blockchain. But that's uh, that's uh, when it was invented. But it's uh, it's kind of like inventing the Internet. The inventor of the Internet is what Timothy C. May, I think, uh, does. Timothy C. May control the internet? No, not by any means, because I could run my own server, right? I could I could run my own website or whatever. Does he get to say, no, you can't, you can't have uh you can't run your own web server because I control the internet, uh, I invented the internet? No, invention and control are two two separate things. And the internet was invented as a way to make it completely decentralized. Anyone can run a server, anyone can you know, uh, publish whatever. Um, now it's getting centralized again, but largely because of Google, Facebook, Twitter, and all these other Amazon, all these companies that sort of host all their servers. But if I run my own server, you can't really do anything to me, right? Like I, you can't shut my server down. That's how the internet works. It's uh, it's connected that way. Um, you can think of Bitcoin in the same way. It was something that was invented and released out to the world but there's no controller of it. Those two things are separate functions and not necessarily correlated. Although, you know, like 
in the case of the US dollar, or the person that invented the US dollar or the people that invented it, which is uh, the US federal government and the banking consortium that came up with the Federal Reserve Act, um, they're, they're the ones that continue to control it. But in the case of Bitcoin and stuff like the internet, it's just something that's been invented doesn't mean that you control it as well because you invented it. Absolutely. That's a gr great way to look at it and great explanation. How about somebody that says, well, you say that there's only 21 million, but how do we know that they're, they're, they won't create more or they won't expand that? Well, uh, th this, this is what's absolutely brilliant about Bitcoin. There's software. Uh, so the way Bitcoin works is that it's, it's just one giant ledger and it's like a ledger at your bank. Uh, when you deposit money, they don't uh, put your $50 into a drawer marked with your name and account number. That's not how it works. They put, they credit your balance by $50 and put the money into their vault or whatever it is that they do with it. That's, that's how it works. And when you write a check to somebody else that's at that bank, they debit your account and credit their account and so on. Bitcoin is just the one giant ledger. And that ledger is public, right? This is what we call the Bitcoin blockchain. It's it's literally a ledger of, of every single transaction that's ever happened on Bitcoin starting in 2009. Uh, so uh, what, what the software does is it checks this ledger continuously and you can run it yourself. And that's the brilliant part of it is anyone can go download this software and check the entire ledger to make sure that it follows all of the rules. So there's no they that can create new coins. The software already knows where, how much Bitcoin there should be on any given block number or any new page on the ledger. Like the total sum of all Bitcoin in existence is known at any given point in time. And so you can check for that. And that's what we're doing uh, when we're running this software. And in fact, I run several nodes and a lot of other Bitcoin operators or people that are in Bitcoin run their own nodes just because they want to continuously audit the ledger to make sure that it's following all of the rules. If anyone violates those rules, your node would know immediately, right? If somebody says, you know what, I'm going to create an extra million Bitcoin. Um, well, they might try to, but the rest of the nodes that are on the network that are checking would reject their claim and say, you don't have a claim to this. We're all checking. It's as if all of us got, got a say over federal reserve policy, right? Any, anyone that held the dollar and the federal reserve goes, well, we're going to print an extra trillion dollars for, you know, coronavirus relief or something like that. And we, we got, if even a few people say no, then it's like, it doesn't happen. Well, that's kind of how Bitcoin is. There's uh, all of these auditors of the ledger that have a say. And if, if you say no, then for you, those, those never expand. And in fact, there have been cases where uh, you had a bunch of people that decided to do something else. So back in 2017, there was a hard fork called Bitcoin Cash. There was a group of big, uh, people in Bitcoin that wanted to um, do something else with the ledger. Uh, specifically, they wanted blocks to be bigger, or you can think of it as a page in the ledger to be longer, right? Like contain more transactions on that page. Um, and they decided to fork off and do their own thing. Um, and the rest of the Bitcoin network decided, well, this isn't the same Bitcoin and we're going to reject all of the claims from that one. And 
you know, they could have changed it to 25 million or 50 million or whatever at that point too, but the rest of the network would have rejected it. And it, it ended up being two separate coins that coin is called Bitcoin Cash, hasn't done very well, whereas Bitcoin has done spectacularly. And th this is how we know. It's uh, unlike the Fed where you nobody really audits the Fed, right? With Bitcoin, everyone is constantly auditing Bitcoin. And if uh, and they need your consent in order to do anything different. Yeah, I mean, it's it's brilliant. I mean, it's every time that I think about it, anytime somebody talks about it, um, it's it's just it's a perfect currency. And I think people can get um, lost, Jimmy. They can they can they they see like Dogecoin, and I mean, they see all this kind of silliness. And and I and I really wish people could see Bitcoin stands alone away from that. And um, it's like everything else. What I love about your book is it's educational because hmm. you have to be reminded what is money, what's the problem, what is inflation, what's the problem. And it's kind of like the Bible is hmm. the Old Testament is the problem. The New <laughs> Testament is the solution. Right. So you guys do the same thing. You talk about the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I read the Bible from cover to cover and I didn't do like the jumping around, mm -hmm. I struggled. I almost didn't make it. In fact, the first year I didn't make it through on time, the, the, the old Testament. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's because, you know, you know, talking about the problem all the time, when we are, when I already know what the solution is, was, was hard. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, that's, so I, I, what do you say, you know, maybe quickly, um, about other coins? Mm. Like people? Yeah. Uh, well, ju just to quickly recap, uh, the, the subtitle of our book is the creation, corruption and redemption of money. And, uh, that, that arc was purposeful and it does sort of have, a similar arc to understanding Christianity, because you need to know that you're a sinner first before you understand what Christ did for you, right? Like what, why you need Christ until you understand that you are a sinner and that we're in need of redemption. Um, you cannot understand what Christ did. And until you, you're willing to admit that, you know, Christianity just doesn't make sense. In the same way, you cannot understand Bitcoin until you understand that the current money is corrupted and that it is constantly being debased away and that it is, uh, it, it just doesn't work in the way that you think it does. And until you understand that Bitcoin doesn't really make sense. But when you do, then it's like, okay, now I get it, right? And that, that, that's the arc that we sought to make. So thank you for that because uh, obviously it got through to you too. Um, yeah. Uh, regarding other coins, uh, my, my perspective on any, every coin other than Bitcoin is that they are very similar to fiat money in the sense that there is a central controller, usually a creator that gets to control everything. The question that you asked before about, well, why can't they increase it to 22 million or something like that? Um, that's a question that is an open question on all of these altcoins because there is a creator and they do get to change the rules on a constant basis. So Ethereum is the biggest 
you know, cryptocurrency outside of Bitcoin, right? Um, and they they have the largest market cap and so on. It was created by Vitalik Buterin back in 2014. And he, uh, you know, had a pre-mine. Uh, basically, that's money printed at the beginning to give to himself, his friends, and particularly the ones in Silicon Valley. Um, and 70% of all Ethereum in existence, for example, went to his friends before any of it was available to the public. So that that's, uh, you know, one example of a way in which you know, the creator can kind of like control things. And in fact, every other coin does pretty much the same thing. They do a large pre-mine. So instead of printing money afterwards, like the Fed does, right, on an as-needed basis, they print it all at the beginning, call it a pre-mine, and then they, uh, you know, sort of justify to themselves, oh, we're the ones actually doing the work, so we deserve this money. And then they don't have to fulfill their promise at all. And oftentimes they don't, they don't like have to ship anything, right? And then investors are left sort of like holding the bag or whatever. So in that sense, it, it, it doesn't have the same innovation that Bitcoin does, which is that Bitcoin is decentralized. It doesn't have somebody in the center controlling it. And that question that you asked before about why can't they change it, that's a legitimate question for altcoins because there is a central foundation. There's people that say, well, you have to upgrade your software or else you're no longer on Ethereum or whatever. And that that that's the big difference. Um, uh, that that if you understand it, uh, if you really understand the problem with the current monetary system, then you know all coins don't really make sense because they're not really solving that problem, right? Like they're 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 still centrally controlled, um, and uh, people can change the rules whenever they want or add to those rules or whatever. In which case, okay, might as well stick with fiat money or something like that. At least I have in theory, some uh, level of representation because uh, the legislators I vote for can, at least in theory, abolish the Fed and uh, bring in a new monetary system or something like that. But with these things, it's like you have no influence. It's, it's uh, you know, Vitalik Buterin or Charles Hodgkinson or Brian Garlinghouse or whoever it is that created it. And they're the ones that are in control and they can do whatever the heck they want. So, um, so that, that would be the way I would look at it. Bitcoin is like you said, it's in a completely separate category because it is actually decentralized. All of these things are not. And they, it's an open question whether or not they will or can, and they have changed lots of things. So, um, you know, it's possible for them to change the supply, for example. Yeah, that's, that's you know, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody in the audience that really doesn't understand any of this. And, um, and, and I could probably sit here for two hours and ask you questions and they would understand it better after two hours. But I'm going to tell everybody I've, I've referred, I don't know, a dozen people to this book and we're going to put it in the show notes um, and, uh, and how you can get it and everything else. Uh, but I've listened to it. I've read it. And every single person that I've, that I've, um, that I've referred them to this book, they've said, thank you. They, mm. they, that it's that it has made sense to them and helped them. Even some people that were into some altcoins mm. that, that came back and when you know we kind of say you know that we're Bitcoin purists, then they said, now I understand why, right? Mm. And so just what you said helps explain that. All right, Jimmy. So um, 
like I said, we could talk for hours, but I'm going to be respectful of your time because I really, really appreciate you coming on here. And you've done an incredible job explaining and serving the audience. And uh, I, I thank you for that again. Um, so I have what, one question for you that I like to kind of wrap up every show with. And um, I guess I didn't prep you on this. So whatever it is, <laughs> it is, okay? Okay, uh, and being a Christian guy, I'm going to say outside of the Bible, okay? Mm -hmm. So if God came down from heaven and he said, Jimmy, I'm, you can only retain the knowledge from one book that you've read, what would that book be? Knowledge from one book that I read. I, you know, I'm going to go with uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's one of, one of my favorite books. And I think, um, you know, I, like, I, you know, he's been a big influence in my life uh, through his books. I think I've read almost everything that he's written. Um, but for me, the, the clarity in that book uh, and just how, um, you know, like just, practical it is and clear it is it's it's the kind of, I you know I strive to write in the same way when I write my books is to have that level of clarity uh because uh, I at least a lot of like sort of scholarly works or whatever they use fancy language as a way to substitute for a fancy thinking and for me C.S. Lewis is all you know like very clear language with very you know like intellectually deep, um, deep stuff. Um, and, you know, the, the content of that book is amazing as well. You know, like the concept of virtue and thinking about how, how to um, understand what virtue is and how it fits into daily life and so on. So I mean, it's kind of, I, I don't know, like that, that would be something that I, I would choose personally. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great answer. And you know what, one of the things that I think, and, and I can tell um, with your answers on Bitcoin is when I'm trying to teach somebody something, I always say that if somebody has to use, you know, fancy words and concepts and, and like they, and they can't explain it simply, then they don't understand it well enough mm. because, mm. you know, you can explain calculus very simply right? Mm -hmm. If you really understand it, and I'm just trying to think of what some like everybody in college probably took. But you know, it's, you should be able to explain things and make it simple for for people to understand. If you don't know it well enough, then you kind of kind of, you know, you dance around it, you use words to make people go, well, I'm not sure what he's <laughs> talking about, or she's talking about. But that's kind of what happens in Wall Street is you know jimmy you're not smart enough to manage your own money so let uh -huh. this other person manage it because they're smarter than you and you ask them some questions and they go off into this tangent on you know dollar cost averaging and <laughs> uh, modern portfolio theory and monte carlo method and all this stuff and you go well, i don't even know what any of that is and mm -hmm. and you go well they must be smarter than me okay you manage my money right yeah which is again that th those things are man-made Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it, uh, it's a form of Gnosticism, right? It's a, yeah. it's a way of getting you to think that they have knowledge that you do not and that you need to be sort of like inducted into this priesthood of, uh, you know, academics or whatever that that sort of understand it. And uh, and there there is sort of like this human longing for that. I do notice that a lot of podcasts, for example, they'll they'll talk about, I don't know, like gauge theory or something. Yeah. And it's just like. Okay, you know, they it means sort of like something vague and they never really explain what it is. And 
it, it's a way to keep uh, sort of like a mystery around it. And that that was the appeal of Gnosticism, right? It, it was, yeah. okay, There there's a mysterious knowledge that you don't really quite understand, but if you listen to us long enough, then maybe you'll get it. Um, I, I don't think that's how God made the world. I think it's, uh, you know, he, 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 we, whatever we can understand, he made it possible for us to understand in simple terms, I think. So it's yeah. just a matter of learning all of it and, uh, and really internalizing it rather than going into this weird, uh, Gnostic, uh, direction, which unfortunately appeals to a lot of people. You know, it does. And even, uh, we teach a lot of people about infinite banking and you'll see a lot of people out there that, um, do the same thing. And it's funny because Nelson Nash, who was kind of uh, the discoverer, I mean, God created infinite banking and infinite banking. If you, you know, Jimmy, you may not be familiar or familiar with it, but it's kind of making your own monetary system and you be the bank and act as the bank, not somebody else. And one of these days, Jimmy, and we're still, we're working on it as we speak. One of these insurance companies is going to have a Bitcoin based life insurance contract mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and you're a math guy which means that you could have been an actuary probably pretty pretty easily i did take one class it did was you, interesting. okay okay yeah. <laughs> so you know that we could make bitcoin work uh on that actuarial uh more and, and on the mortality table so um but uh i i love keeping things simple and making it simple in fact, um, the way that we wrap up our show, Jimmy, and I, and I, I want to thank you again. Thank you so much. Oh, Jimmy, how can I almost forgot this because I was going to say any famous <laughs> last words. But that's when I when I think I forgot something. But um, how would somebody learn more from you? Mm -hmm. um, we're going to put in the show notes how to get the book. Um, mm -hmm. And again, I would recommend this book to everyone. Uh, but how can they see some of your videos or your courses or anything like that? Yeah, so the easiest way is to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Song. Um, I also have a newsletter, jimmysong.substack.com, which you can subscribe to. That's a more technical newsletter, but there is a section on economics and stuff like that. Um, just, you know, my commentary on various things. Um, you know, this week's, uh, uh, you know, newsletter was airlines are uh, like everyone's a bank, right? Including airlines. They're, they're really banks. Um, yeah. And we like people don't realize that that's what's actually happening and why your seats are so cheap and why you get such terrible customer service. Um, but you know, that 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 was, you know, that's kind of a flavor of what you would get out of my newsletter. Also, uh, you know, publish a good deal to um my podcast. I have at least one episode a week. I usually read through my newsletter there as well. I have all kinds of guests on. Um, you know, people know I'm Christian, so I'll have a lot of Christians on and talk about various things. Um, and there's definitely an intersection between Bitcoin and Christianity that's absolutely fascinating. And I try to sort of cater towards that as well. Um, I have a blog um, at uh, jimmysong.medium.com. I'll publish certain pieces. The last two pieces are uh, focused more on Christianity and Bitcoin, uh, the rise of the postmodern investor, um, which was, you know, uh, fun essay to write for me because I think Dogecoin is the epitome of postmodern investing. Um, and uh, there was another one, uh, you know, like uh, refuting the Gospel Coalition article on Bitcoin, which I thought was very poorly researched and deeply uncharitable. Um, yeah, so th those are some of the places. Obviously, my books are found on Amazon. I have uh, four books to my name at this point. So, um, you know, the Little Bitcoin book, Thank God for Bitcoin. Um, and Bitcoin and the American Dream. 
uh, and programming Bitcoin are the uh, are the four books. So um, yeah, you can go find them and yeah, hopefully you get something out of them. <laughs> we'll put those in the show notes too. And uh, Jimmy, thank you very much. An audience, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up and finish like we always do with the famous uh, incredible words from the strangest secret. So Earl Nightingale, here we go. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now let me say that again. We become what we think about. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. If you are looking to discover new wealth building strategies, then go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com to join our free online community and get access to free courses and in-depth training videos designed to help you build wealth and break away from the herd. Click the link in the show notes to access the community today. Thanks again for listening.